I just am grateful to be here with you. We, um, I'm just about over jet lag because a week ago we were coming back from Saudi Arabia, which I never in my life dreamed I would go there. It was an incredible opportunity. It is an incredible opportunity. That place has been closed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And just in the last, well, right before COVID, which of course changed everything, but just recently is the kingdom issuing tourist visas. So for the first time, you can go. <laughs> and you can see, I've got a couple of pictures, if you don't mind putting that up, Stormy. Okay, look, okay, hold on. Did you know that it would look like that when I said Saudi Arabia? I didn't. I was thinking, you know, sand dunes. But this is, here it is, it's glorious. It was incredible and beautiful. Go ahead to the next one. This is us, oh, just hanging out at the Red Sea. That's all right. I never knew I would do this. That's the Red Sea, and on the other side of the sea is Egypt. I mean, it's like 10 miles across. It's incredible, incredible. Go ahead to the next one. This, okay, hold on. I have something to tell you. Do you know how the events of the whole book of Exodus forever, forever and ever, and most scholarship still says that um, all of the events of the Exodus happened on the Sinai Peninsula. But there's this whole camp of people that think perhaps it happened on the Arabian Peninsula. And so we got to tour all of these incredible places. They suppose that perhaps this is the rock that Moses struck when God told him to, and all of the water poured out for the million people and all of their livestock. Okay, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Even if it isn't that rock, what a cool rock. <laughs> what, a cool <laughs> what a cool place to go. And then there's one more picture. This, this is looking out. I have, okay, disclaimer. I am actually at the bottom of the mountain in this picture. Eli is at the top of the mountain <laughs> in this picture, just saying. But this is looking out over a big plain. This might be the cave where Elijah rested and where the still small voice, what? This is the mount, could be the mountain of God. It could be Mount Sinai, also known as Horeb. So what you can't see in this picture is that the, at the very top, like the peak is just above that, and adjacent to that peak is another one that absolutely, as the sun was going down, you could see it was black, like not black rock, but like singed. It looked like a fire had fallen on it. It was, I was very skeptical of all of the things we were seeing until that, and I was like, wow, that, maybe it is. So there's something for you to look up on YouTube later. But all of that to say, first of all, what an incredible opportunity. Some of you are going to get to go on missions trips this spring and this summer. What an incredible opportunity it is to see the world and to see what God is doing. We got a chance to meet with some, some believers in Saudi. It was incredible. It was incredible. God is moving. And um, I just encourage all of you who are still kind of on the fence about going on a missions trip, just go. <laughs> I promise that you're not going to regret it. I promise that you're not going to regret it. We, um, we are pretty thrilled about that whole Old Testament time that we've just had, but I'm even more thrilled because now it's December. And anybody else like me, I have to like wait, wait and wait and wait patiently because when August comes around, I'm ready to put up my Christmas tree. Anyone? <laughs> But I, I have to wait until after Thanksgiving. It's sort of a family rule. 
And so we landed from Saudi on Thanksgiving night. And guess what I did the very next day? I put up my tree. I love Christmas. I love Christmas. So if you're with me and you have your Bible with you, let's open up the Word of God to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I would ask, if you don't mind, I know you just sat down, but would you stand with me as we read the Word of God? This is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. It's a little bit long, but it's so incredible. It says this, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. And here's the part I want to focus on tonight. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And then the angel left her. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we're so grateful to be here tonight to think about you and to worship you and to learn more about you, God, and just to to let you revolutionize our lives. God, we ask that you'd be with us as we think, as we study, as we listen, as we learn, as we respond. God, would you help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. So I'm going to just go ahead and be old school here and say a very blessed Advent to you. (laughs) Anybody ever heard that word before Advent? It's a season in the church calendar from back in the day when the church was just the church, capital C. And it actually is a word that means the coming of the Lord. Any Alpha Omega people in here? You know, anyone? No one? Wow. Where did they go? If you've taken Latin, you know that that's what it means. The coming. Advent means come. So Advent is a season that typically, it actually started on Sunday this year. It's the four Sundays preceding Christmas. So in the church, we look forward to Christmas purposefully. We take some time in the darkest time of the year to remember what we're aiming for, what we're headed for in Christmas. So Advent means the coming of the Lord. We look back and remember all that God has done, but we also look forward to all that is still yet to come. We were just reading in Luke, and that's pretty far into your Bible, if you're new with the Bible. There's not too much left after Luke, but what's left after Luke is rather important, (laughs) right? And so we look forward to all that's still yet to come. The scriptures are filled with God having people remember. Have you ever noticed that? He's always telling people to remember things. He says, build this monument. 
So every time you pass by it, you can remember what I've done. He says, write this down. He says, talk about this when you get up. Pass these things down. He says, write a song about this. Several times, he does. He tells somebody, sing, sing this. <laughs> I love that, that God does it. Sing this song so every time you sing it, you can remember what I've done. There's a great part of the Bible where it says, do this in the remembrance of me. God loves for us to remember. He wants us to remember. We are actively to look back and remember the goodness and the faithfulness of God so that we will not forget to keep on actively seeking him and living for him today. Have you ever read the Old Testament through? If you haven't yet, I encourage you to. You're about to have a break from school. What is it, like five weeks? Hey, I have an idea of what you could read. This is a good one. But when you read the Old Testament through, you kind of get frustrated, like, oh, they forgot again. It's very frustrating, but we do the same thing, don't we? I mean, my goodness, I do it like pretty much every week. So God says, remember. He knows how much we want to forget. These few weeks before we celebrate Christmas, we can take ourselves back to the really long years of waiting before the birth of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a minute. Imagine what it was like to wait for the Messiah then. The few in the world, just one people group really, who remembered about the true creator of heaven and earth, watched and waited for something to happen. A Messiah had been promised to them, but what did that really mean? They weren't really sure. Did it mean a prophet? Did it mean a priest? Did it mean a king? Did it mean that there was going to be some kind of huge empire that they were going to be in charge of? It had been such a long, long time. And things, honestly, were not going so great. There were a few incredible moments of victory and of miracle, but there was a whole lot of just watching and waiting and forgetting and remembering and watching and so on. And that was just Israel. So try to imagine what it was like for the rest of the world, talking about waiting before the Messiah. One of my favorite books in the world is called The Everlasting Man by G.K. Chesterton. I don't know if you've read it. If you haven't, you should one day. Put that on your list. It's so good. It paints a picture of mankind as far back as history goes. So like to recorded history where we actually have written things. He brilliantly maps out the long path that mankind takes in effort to remember what they've forgotten. And his Supposition is that man intuitively, instinctively knows about God. He's, he's saying, we've forgotten, and we're trying to remember. The record of history and art, I mean, we just saw petroglyphs in Saudi Arabia, thousands and thousands of years old pictures on rocks. It was cool. But the record of history and art proved that man has always had a heart tuned to worship. Everyone has a heart tuned to worship something, and we have hearts that are seeking who or whatever it was that we know that we're made to worship. All of history tells the story of that search. From age to age, from continent to continent, all of, think, you guys have, have been in school all your life, think of all of the weird and wild mythologies that mankind has made in searching for God. 
and trying to make an explanation for everything that we're seeing around us and all of the things that we're doing. So in this book, it finally, he's, he's painting a picture of history, which finally crescendos with a fight to end all fights between Carthage and Rome. Anybody know about this? Remember Hannibal, the general? It was an incredible, incredible thing. Carthage, back in the day, is that Tunisia now, right, Sam? Right? I think it is. Don't quote me on that. Carthage was the rich and highly advanced civilization of the day. They worshipped a god named Molech. These were the very rich and busy people. So think like the, the fanciest Wall Street people that you know. This is those kind of people. They're highly cultured, and their worship would have been something like this, as if modern bankers and lawyers all got dressed up in their Sunday best and went to church to sacrifice their children. That was their worship. And Rome, at the same time, was just a loose, loosely based bunch of pagan pastoral people with a really huge and eclectic mythology, like think Zeus and all of those people. They had a really big <laughs> mythology. But there was no way in the world when these two peoples came together to fight that Rome should have won. No way in the world. But they did. <laughs> And the whole world at that time realized that they had stared evil in the face and defeated it. And that was the very moment in history when Rome rises into her ivory towers. We talk about that a lot around here. And became a huge empire, which most people in the world would still make an argument that that was the greatest thing that's ever happened. It, it made a relatively safe, accommodating, enriching civilization. A lot of people would say the best that mankind can do. But here's the point. The best that mankind could do immediately began to rot from the inside. It immediately began to decay. This is the best that man can do. It's garbage <laughs> at the inside. So in the fullness of time, in a small nowhere at the back of the Roman Empire, in a stable, surrounded by animals because there was no room at the inn, a young and not yet married teenage girl had a baby. And God says, okay, now let me show you what I can do. The end of the long first wait began then. It began in that rude stable with the birth of Jesus, who left glory, the glory and the perfect fellowship of heaven to come here and live and walk among us, showing us the kingdom. It culminated with the awful death and the glorious resurrection of our Savior, our King, who ascended back into heaven and then sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and empower us. The first long wait began to end the day that Mary stood face to face with God's messenger, Gabriel, in the passage that we read at the beginning. Her answer was simple and sweet and full of faith. I am the Lord's servant, she answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. She went on to visit Elizabeth, you remember in the story, 
When Mary came to see Elizabeth, Elizabeth's baby leapt in her womb, a six-month-old in utero baby, leapt at the coming of this Christ-bearer. And right then, you can read the record of a song that Mary sang in verses 46 through 55. It's, Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This song of Mary is a remembrance. It's called the Magnificat because of the first line, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it's one of the most beautiful songs ever sung. E. Stanley Jones also calls it the most revolutionary song ever sung. I like how he says that. This young girl full of faith and literally full of the kingdom, Mary, sings the song of what God has had in mind since the beginning. She sings the song of his kingdom. And guess what? It is absolutely nothing, nothing, nothing like anyone could have ever guessed it would be. It is nothing like the many systems and kingdoms and empires and religions that mankind has made and keeps on making and keeps on trying to make over the years. It is entirely other. And if you want to know what the kingdom is like, look at Jesus. Listen to Jesus, born in that rude and simple way, living a sinless and selfless life, suffering and dying, a sacrificial death for all of us, overcoming death and hell and the grave. That is the kingdom. It isn't about wealth. It isn't about power. For God's sake, it isn't about politics. It isn't about religious systems. It isn't even about beautiful and mighty cathedrals covered in gold. No, in God's kingdom, to win, you must lose. To be first, we must be last. To find true and ultimate freedom, we must bow in total obedience. To find our lives, we must lose them. And to live, we have to die. Our simple response to Jesus and his kingdom is as simple and faith-filled yes to the king of heaven and earth, to be a bearer of the Christ with a soul that magnifies the Lord. That's what Mary shows us. So let me tell you, now we're a part of the second long wait. The second long wait began with a faithful group of men and women full of the kingdom empowered by the Holy Spirit, with a mandate from our King and his full authority over heaven and earth to go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that he has commanded us. And he said he'll be with us even until the end of the age. So we, 
like Mary, are bearers of Christ. Today, we look back, yes, but we also look forward. We bow our hearts in humility and in faith and remember that Jesus is everything we need. In him and for him was everything and everyone made. E. Stanley Jones says it the best I've ever heard. Jesus and his kingdom are the total answer for man's total need. A head-on answer. One gospel for all men and for the total man and his total environment. A gospel relevant in every situation for all men everywhere. At my time, in any, at any time, and in any and every condition. So listen, from the start of this second long age of waiting, there's a real danger. The danger is, and always has been, that we're going to forget how tremendous and how different Jesus and his kingdom are. The danger in this age of the church is that we would go back to our old, our old tricks and just keep reverting back to our own ideas and explanations. We make up our own religions. We make up our own mythologies, only this time in the name of the church. The danger is that we reduce the Lord and his kingdom into something that we can control and that we can explain into something safe and manageable, into something that fits on a chart or in a book, into something that we ourselves are actually the Lord over and not the kingdom at all. I would ask you guys to go ahead and stand again. And would the worship team come? It is really amazing that as our response tonight, in just a few minutes, we're gonna be able to celebrate baptism with some of our friends. I don't know um, what your semester has been like, but I'm gonna go ahead and make a guess that because you're here, it's been pretty good <laughs> compared to what it could have been. How many of you would raise your hand and say, in August when you got here, you had no idea what was about to happen to you, right? And how many of you are like me and say, thank God, God happened to me. Thank God, where would we be without him? I don't even want to remember. <laughs> Amen. Praise the Lord. So we're going to be able to celebrate and we're going to be able to worship. But um, just before we do, I would like us to think for a second. We've got a long wait ahead of us. It's not like the last wait when people knew that there was going to be something that came, but they didn't know what, and nothing like that had ever happened before. So it was really just a kind of hope. But we have a different kind of wait because we look back. He really came the first time. He really did come. We can look back in assurance and know that he came once, and he's coming again. And that changes everything. We can look forward with hope. We can talk to our friends on campus with hope. We are not doomed. <laughs> there is help. There is a savior. There is a way. <laughs> we were at that mountain of God that's got 
fire, well, maybe the mountain of God, you know what I'm saying. Somewhere is a mountain of God where fire fell because it was terrifying to be in the presence of God because our sin makes it absolutely impossible for us to be in God's presence. He is holy, and we cannot be near him in our sinful condition. This is what makes Christmas so amazing. You just can't have Easter without Christmas. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So tonight we're going to rejoice. We're going to look. This Christmas, I hope, is the best one you've ever had in your whole life. I hope that you're going to go home and bring some joy with you. Your family needs Jesus. You're going to go home and bring some hope with you. We can change because Jesus helps us. We can be made whole. We can forgive. We can let go of bitterness as we've been holding our whole life. We can be free. Jesus came and he's coming again. So as we wait, we remember that song of Mary and the attitude and the heart behind it. Pray this with me. Let my soul magnify the Lord, God. Lord, we've made you too small in our eyes. God, help us to see you as you really are. Help our souls to magnify you, God. We want to be like Mary was, full of faith, full of God. We want to see you as you really are, enormous, bigger than anything we can imagine, the creator of heaven and earth, the God who fills the universe. Love and joy and peace, those are your names. Thank you, God. We don't want to reduce him. We want to magnify him. As we wait, we can work and we can rest and we can be joyful and we can be sure in the fact that nothing is ever going to look like we think it's supposed to. But it's always going to be way more awesome than we could ever imagine. Let's worship the Lord.